How we doing? Great. It's good to see. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. I want to I want to talk to some folks that have have really helped me out, helped us out at the Creek a lot over the last several weeks. Um, for those of you that have made the Saturday switch. Thank you. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That has made a huge impact on Sundays. And for those on Sunday that didn't make the Saturday switch, but our other word, the Sunday swap, uh, you went to our early service, the 830 service. I know that's not the, I'm not a morning person. I get it. But thank you because what you've done is you've freed up a lot of space in the, the later two services. And those typically are the most, most attended and uh, we run those really tight. Uh, we do have overflow set up if we have to go into that process. But thank you for helping us move some things around. I thought about that today while I was making a sandwich. And, and I like mayonnaise. And, um, I, I, and I like to mix my mayonnaise and my mustard. Um, but I don't like it when I get too much mustard in one bite. So I like to spread it out. So I thought, hey, that's what, that's what y'all are doing here at the creek, you know. You're spreading it out over multiple services, so thank you for doing that. Uh, but we're in, a, we're in a, a series called Come and See, and this, this is the first series in our process of uh, really just working all the way through the Gospel of John. And we, we're breaking down the, the, the book, because um, if you think about Scripture, I mean, the Bible's broken down into Old Testament, New Testament. And then in the, in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have then you have. The rest of the New Testament, that really shares with us and shows us how to live in light of what Jesus did for us. But when you have those books, I mean, we open up our Bible and we'll say, turn to John chapter 1. And that's where we're going to be this weekend. But John chapter 1 wasn't there. And then the little numbers, the verses, you know, like John 1 um, um, verse 24, you know, that wasn't there when it was originally written. You know, John wasn't writing this gospel and go, chapter 1 you know, verse one, and then he'll write, and he'll go verse two, because if you notice that sometimes there's a, a new verse in the middle of a sentence, but that was put in after for, for us to find that, that place, and uh, as we go through, we broke down the, 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 the gospel into sections that we're going to turn into series, and so once we get through all of these, if you're taking notes, you will have notes on the entirety of the Gospel of John. And someone asked me last week how long it's going to take us to get through it, and I'm just going to answer honestly, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I got nothing else to teach because I don't, I, the material, you don't want to hear what I have to say. So we let the Bible go through it and let the Bible lead us. So I don't know. It might be a year. It might be longer. I'll let you know. But here's the thing. Just, just keep track of the dates, and then you'll know what we're, when we're done, right? And I know that bothers some of you. Be, and, and it kind of bothers me because when, like, when I get on a plane, I like to put on the little map. You know, they put the, they put the TV now on the seat back in front of you. And then um, actually some of the planes I've been on lately, they took those out and you got to do it on your own device. But I like the flight tracker. I love it. Because it shows me, hey, here's where, 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 where we were, here's where we're going, and here's somewhere in the middle, and it tells me how much time to destination. I get that. I'm also the type of guy that I know where I'm going when I get in the truck, but I still put on my GPS. I do that for traffic, right, so I can avoid missing some things and stay around, stay, keep my sanity when I'm driving. Uh, so the key verse, the whole key verse about this, this study through John is, is John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And it, John gives us the reason why he wrote this gospel. He says there's so many things that Jesus did that aren't recorded in this gospel. Um, there's not enough volumes of books in the world to contain it. But he said, here's why I wrote it. In verse 31, he says, I wrote this and I share this with you so that you would know. So that you would know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, and that you 
you would believe in him and have life in his name. Right, So he didn't just write it as, hey, here's a historical account of this man named Jesus. The purpose in it was for us to realize he is the son of God and for us to find our life in him. And that brings us to where we are today because when you, when, you, when you think of Jesus, what do you see? I mean, I, I struggle with that sometimes because I'll take on, a, I, I tend to, when I, when I close my eyes and I try to think of Jesus, like what did Jesus look like? You know, I start getting all these different images, Right. And, and most of those are because we've had Hollywood or we've had somewhere along the way. Like, you know, you, or, or maybe my, my grandmother had a picture of Jesus. And I think that's the same picture of Jesus that's in most of the households um, two generations ago, right? Where it's just a soft picture of Jesus. And I, I, I don't like to think of that. I think the best picture of Jesus that I, that I have now is, is, is from the, the TV show, the TV series Chosen. You know, because I, I think I think that's they didn't try to try to doll Jesus up. You know, I mean Isaiah said he wasn't a good looking guy. You know, I mean most people are gonna look right over him. You know, but but they don't try to like Hollywood Jesus. But but when you think of Jesus, what do you see? You know, when you pray, do you try to do you try to envision Jesus or is, is it just me? But what do you see? Let me ask you this question. Who do you see when you see yourself? Like when you look in the mirror, like who do you really see? Not just I mean, I, I have a tendency to look in the mirror and I'll, I'll find the flaws, right? You know, and I'll be like, man, you know, that, where'd that come from? You know, and man, I'm just looking old. Um, Heather and I went down a trip down memory lane uh, this week because uh, we're celebrating our 28th anniversary. And so we just spent some time just going, so 28 years, okay, go. Highlights, you know, lowlights. I mean, we talk about it all. But, uh, but she said something that really just inflated my ego so much that, that, that God will have to deal with me on it. But she goes, I think you're better looking now than when we got married. I'm like, really? I think you're more blind now than when we got married, you know? It's like her, her eyesight's going, my hearing's going, and everything else is going. But, um, when you, but really, when you kind of look at the core of who you are, who do you see? I mean, John, John the Baptist sees Jesus in John chapter 1, and, and he, he, he describes the identity of Jesus. I mean, let's, let's take a look at it. So John chapter 1, and, and to clarify, we're going to talk about John the Baptist again this week, and John the Baptist isn't the one who wrote this. It was John the Apostle. They're two different people, and, and we're seeing the scene about John the Baptist right now, um, but it says, the next day, he, John, <clears throat> saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. 
I mean, John's able to go, you know, I picture a scene like, like John's just standing there with some people. You know, John had disciples and they were following his teaching and John was preparing the way for Jesus to come in, come into the scene. And, and, and as he's having a conversation, all of a sudden he, he sees Jesus walk by and it kind of just stops all the conversation that's going on, right? I mean, he had just, he was having a conversation with the religious leaders, right? The Pharisees, they're, they're, they're asking him, who are you? And so this is, this is just... All this is in the air. And so I don't know if John was talking to his disciples like, hey, yesterday I I had a conversation with the Pharisees and this is where we're at. But then all of a sudden when he sees Jesus, he stops. And he says, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a big identity, right? John is seeing who Jesus really is. And notice some of those identifiers in that passage when he says the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God He's seeing Jesus. So first of all, you see Jesus as a man. Then he says the Lamb of God. And why would he say the Lamb of God? And it's because Jesus is the sacrifice for our sin. Like when you, when you start looking at, at what we need, there has to be the shedding of blood for us to be forgiven for our sin. I mean, Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that, that the purification comes by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. So therefore, we have a need for a sacrifice. So now let's step back into the Old Testament for a second. In the Old Testament, you know, the, the, the priests and the rabbis, the leaders would sacrifice an animal so that that blood would make atonement for the sins of, the, of Israel. And so throughout the Old Testament, you have a sacrificial system that, that an animal would die so that there could be forgiveness of sins. But God says, that's not the ultimate plan. And somewhere in the middle of the Old Testament, God just didn't go, hey, I've got a better way to do this. God sees it from the beginning to the end. And so he knew that there would be a sacrificial system for a time and that would go away because Jesus would come onto the scene and Jesus would be the sacrifice once and for all. I mean, so you go over to Hebrews chapter 10 that says once Jesus made the sacrifice once for all, right? In, in chapter 10, verse 13 or 14, it says, it says that he was the single offering for all time. In that chapter, it would go on to say there's no more need for sacrifice because Jesus did it. Jesus is taking care of all the sacrifice. So that's why John could say, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He recognizes that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is Jesus, that he is the Son of God, and that he is here to take away the sin of the world. That's the Lamb part of it. But then he says, he's the Son of God. So, so he's not only saying that Jesus is a fully man, fully man, and is our sacrifice, but he's also saying he is fully God because he is the Son of God. When you go over to Colossians chapter 1, and I, I love this description of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. It says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, uh, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's why John could look at him and say, he, he, he is before me, though he came after me. Right? John is six months older physically than Jesus. 
But yet he would say, he's coming after me, but he was before me. It's because Colossians 1 says that he existed in the beginning. And then, then it says in verse 19, for in him, in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So John throws down some really distinct identifiers when he sees Jesus. He sees a man. He sees a man who is fully God. He sees the Lamb of God who is a sacrifice. And he sees the Son of God in whom the fullness of God's deity is pleased to dwell. That's who he sees when he sees Jesus. And when you start to break down Jesus coming onto the scene, I like to say this, Jesus is fully God, he's fully man, and he fully paid for all of my sins on the cross. That's what John is seeing. And John could say, I can make that claim, I can, I can stake my life on who I see when I see Jesus because I've experienced it, I've witnessed it. He says, I bore witness to this. When he says that the spirit descended on him like a dove, that happened at Jesus' baptism. And John the Baptist was the one who, that's not where, John the Baptist isn't like the godfather of the Baptist religion, you know, or Baptist denomination. He was called John the Baptist because he was baptizing people in water. But John the Baptist baptized Jesus. It's in, it's in three of the Gospels. I'm going to show you the one in Matthew um, because the Matthew account is, is pretty powerful for me. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him in saying this, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to be baptized by me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is like, I know you think this is backwards, but this is the way it's supposed to go. So John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. John could look at Jesus and say he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he is the Son of God. And he could bear witness because he had experienced the power of Jesus. So many times we stand on the outside of a relationship with Jesus or we stand outside of an experience with Jesus and we want to look in and we want to hope it's true, right? I mean, we find ourselves in situations in life where we're struggling, where life is hard, it's just difficult and we feel like the whole world is coming against us and we look at that and we go, I need that to be true, Jesus. But until we've experienced it, we can't testify for that fact. I think, I think that's how I grew up. I mean, I grew up knowing, knowing the religious answers. I, knew, I grew up knowing how to, how to get the candy in children's church, right? I mean, if, you did, if the answer wasn't Jesus, you had to get a little bit deeper, you know. But I, I, could, I could figure out the answer. So I could create this head knowledge about Jesus. But when I was a teenager and I experienced Jesus, it changed the game. Because now when I speak of Jesus, it's not... It's not what I think, it's what I've experienced. And what I experienced is what I know. And John's saying, I know who he is. John knew the identity of Jesus. John also knew that identity comes from Jesus. Because remember, John would just, when they, last week when we were teaching through the Pharisees asking John, who are you? 
He's like, I'm nobody. I'm just a voice. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. John knew that, his, that the identity that he needs only comes through Christ. And when you, when you look at what John says in, in John 1.29 and, and even in, here in Matthew when it says that the father spoke over Jesus, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then in John 1, 29, when he says, that, uh, uh, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's showing us some functional and, and foundational identities of Jesus. There's really two identities I wanna unpack with this. The first one is the foundational identity. I mean, John could look at Jesus and understand who he is. The foundational identity for us, it's the primary and most critical, right? This is who we really are. I mean, when we start looking at our core, I mean, you look at, you look at an identity of Jesus. I, I, I love what the Father speaks over Jesus. This is at his baptism. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Beloved just means, it means he's the only one in his class. That he has my attention and he has my affection, and I hold him dear. And, and then he says, this is my son. That's a relational connection that happens by birth. That happens, like, you know, so many times when we read through, through the New Testaments and we get into the, the genealogy of Christ, right? And so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Well, you have to begat to be a son, Right? But he's ready. God is speaking. The Father is speaking over Jesus in that. And, and he's not speaking what he does. He's speaking who he is. That's why the foundational identity is the core and the most important thing for us. Because this, this, is, this, is, this is who we are. And you and I, we're born with a foundational identity. I mean, Jesus was born of a virgin Mary and the father spoke over him at his baptism and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You and I have an identity that is not Christ. That the moment we're born, we're born onto a foundation of death and sin. And we inherited that. When you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sinned and that sin separated them, that moment, that instant from God. And from that moment, God starts working on behalf of us for reconciliation and redemption. But in that moment, it creates a foundation that we're now born into. And it is death and it is sin. And you see it in Romans chapter 5, right? Paul's writing to the church in Rome to explain this, this foundational identity. He says, just as, as, as sin came into the world through one man, so one man's act of disobedience, Adam, then all have sinned. Every one of us are born into that process. Every one of us are born into that foundational identity. You know, and people go, well, well, who does God see when he looks at the world? You know, scripture teaches us that, that God sees two, two people, those who are in Adam so those who were still in, in the flesh and were born into that sin nature, and he sees that's our foundational identity, and then he sees those who are in Christ, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. 
Because that's what happened when Jesus went to the cross. When he gave his life on the cross and, and his blood was poured out for us, that is our ability to have our sacrifice or ha to have our sin paid for by his sacrifice. And so when God looks at humanity, he says, he says you're, you're, and you can break it down. So we say in Adam or in Christ, you can say this, saved and unsaved. Because if we have been saved, we have been covered by the blood of Christ and therefore we are in Christ, I mean, that's, that's the whole background for 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I mean, when you look at, when you look at what's going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and we like some of the coffee cup verses out of this, this chapter, right? Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Praise God. But let's get context around that, right? I'm going to back you up to verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. So, of all the experience we have with Christ and, and understanding that we have this foundational identity that is death and that it is sin and that all the sin came in through Adam and we're born into it. We don't have to grow into, be, into being sinners. It just comes naturally. I mean, I, I just, you know, I look at my kids. When my kids were younger, I didn't have to teach them to tell the truth. I, I didn't have to teach them to lie. I had to teach them to tell the truth. My granddaughter, she, get, she got frustrated with me tonight before service. You know, she started walking, which means she's getting into everything. And Abby came in and she goes, hey, can you watch her for just like five minutes? Well, if you're asking me to do that, that, that feels like it's an hour, okay? <laughs> and so we're, 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 we're here on the campus and she's running around grabbing stuff. And I was like, okay, let's just put that down. Let's not touch that. Let's not go there. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then she picks up something. I was like, okay, that's fragile, and that belongs to somebody, and I don't want to pay for that, so let's put that down. And so I pick her up. And as soon as I picked her up, her face just went red. She's like, she made the, you know, and she looked at me like I thought she was going to punch me in the face. <laughs> that came naturally. <laughs> That's the sin nature. So with all of these natures and this foundational identity, it says, it says, for the love of Christ controls us now because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. It means Jesus has died for all. Therefore, all have died. So those who are in Christ, we have been crucified with Christ. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what, what we're seeing here and understanding is that, that God wants to change our foundational identity from, from, from death and sin to alive in Christ. And the way that happened was through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And what that means is that if we're, if we're placing our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, then we're no longer living for ourselves. He becomes the focus. He becomes the author of our new foundational identity because now we get into from now on, therefore, we, we regard no one according to the flesh. Remember, God sees him in Adam, flesh, in Christ, in the spirit. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer because he has been crucified and has been resurrected. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Then he goes on to explain that, that he gave us this ministry out of this. So the key to our foundational identity, see, see what happens is we're born, and then we spend our life trying to figure out who we are, right? 
and we'll go through these identity crises and we'll go through these seasons of life. And I'm, you know, I just, I don't remember when I was a toddler, but I remember my identity crisis coming into a teenager. Right? I, I moved from seventh grade going into eighth grade. And so I'm at a, I'm at a new school, a new state, and I'm, I'm trying to find new friends. And I'm, I'm thrown into this identity crisis because if you, if you, if you remember back to your school cafeteria or, or guys, if you're in that now, it's chaotic. But you look around and, and there's identity pockets in the cafeteria. And I looked around and going, where do I fit? And most of us go through life that way, trying to build off of a broken foundational identity to figure out where we fit in. And middle school is when I remember the chaos of that hitting, and it was a challenge. And I thought, this has got to get easier. And then I get to high school. Cool. Most of my high school, I ate, I ate by myself because I didn't know where I fit. And then you think, well, this has got to get better. It's got to get easier. But what happens is all we're doing is trying to figure out who we are by building on a broken foundational identity that only can produce death and sin. But thanks be to God that he comes in and he transforms that foundational identity from death and sin to life. To an identity as, as uh, in, in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That is a paradigm shift of identity, our foundational identity of who we are. I'm no longer on a foundational identity trying to figure out who I am from death and sin. I am now living life in Christ. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out who I am, but I know whose I am. And I know that he's transformed radically that identity in Christ as he's reconciled me as righteousness. And I love that he's also reconciled us as children. I mean, in John chapter 1, right, when we kicked off this series, it says, for all who received him, all who received Jesus, because it's all, we already know is he's going to be crucified and resurrected. Spoiler alert if you're new to the Bible. He, Jesus dies, but that's not the end. He's raised again so that by that sacrifice and resurrection, we can have life. And for all those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Why is that important? Because in Christ, God looks at us and will say the same thing over us that he said over Jesus. This is my child in whom I'm well pleased. I don't do things all the time that bring the pleasure of God. I get that. But what's interesting is God doesn't draw his pleasure from what I do. He draws it from who I am. That's the foundational identity. Then from that foundational identity, then we work in what's called our functional identity, right? If, if the foundation is who we are, then the functional is what we do, right? And you get, you get people in a room together. I love getting, I love, I, 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 okay, 
confession time. I hate mingling and chit-chat. I can't stand it. Man, you want to talk about something like it, there, there's certain things that you do on your phone that drain the battery. You know, some of you are trying to get to level 3,800 on Candy Crush, and it's just killing your battery. What kills my battery is having to go into a room of people and mingle and create chit-chat. I mean, it drains me terribly. What I do enjoy is going in with intention and purpose. And I, when we get in that intention and purpose, right, and we sit around a circle, we sit around a table, we go, well, let's do introductions, right? And you, ha- you hope that you're not going first, right? Because you have to set the foundation for everything, right? But the, sometimes, sometimes the host will go, well, let's do some introductions, so just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, how much is a little bit? I mean, because sometimes when I host those meetings, I want a buzzer, right? I, I didn't ask for your life story. <laughs> you know, let, 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 uh, highlights. Mm, higher, you know. Okay. You know, I was born and no, 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 tapping out. But, I, but when we go around the table for introductions, if you notice this, we always get, we always speak of our functional identity as a priority. I get into circles of, like, I get asked to community meetings and different things, and I'll, get, I'll be around a table, and nobody knows me, and I think that's great. And I kind of don't want to tell people I'm a pastor, because I don't want them to, to filter what they're going to say. I mean, if you're going to cuss, cuss. So, you know, if you're going to, you know, just, hey, I'm, I'm comfortable. I know who I am. You know, you're not going to take away my salvation for me having to hear you. But as soon as I say I'm a pastor, like, mm, mm. but a pastor for me, that's a functional identity. It's not who I am. We'll go, well, this is, this is what I do for a living, you know. You know it, those are all functional identities. Like Heather and I, she can speak better to foundational than I can, right? Because we'll introduce us as a couple and, and I'll go, you know, uh, I'm Matt and, you know, I'm a pastor in Fort Worth and blah, 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 and try to get through it. And then she'll go, oh, my name's Heather and, and you know, I'm a wife. I'm Matt's wife. I have two beautiful daughters, and my son-in-laws are amazing, and we have three grandchildren, one on the way. And so she's talking about all, like, this is who I am. I'm like, I don't want you to know everything about who I am. But it's a functional, we we go to the functional first. And and here's what I found. That's why change rocks us so much. Because if we think that the source of our identity comes from what we do, as soon as that changes, we're in an identity crisis. Right, I, I, I've seen it over and over. I, I've experienced it. I mean, even positive changes throw us into a spiral. I mean, I resigned from a corporate job to go into ministry, and I went into an identity crisis because I didn't realize how much of my identity I drew from what I did. I've walked with people that have gone through retirement, right? You look forward to retirement. But then we're in a spiral after retirement because all of your identity was in what you did. It's not who you are. And you're trying to figure out now who you are. And we've got this function that we constantly try to replace and figure it out. And then we get rocked and we get, a, get into an identity crisis and we start to lose ourselves. And what happens is when we put our functional identity before our foundational identity, we start to perform for people. We start to perform for God. We somehow think that what I do for God is going to make him love me more. 
or what I do for God is going to justify me, right? Because how many people do we have in this world that when you bring up the question of heaven and hell and what's going to happen when we die, they'll go, I'm a good person. It's because we think that's our function. If I can function as a good person, then God will love me and he will let me into heaven. And that's not how we get there. There has to be a foundational shift of who we are, and that happens in Christ. And when we start performing for people, we think that's what's going to bring us more love, more affection, more attention, more of whatever we feel we're lacking, right? If I can just, if I can just perform harder, if I can do better at my job, if I can work harder, I will earn more. When I earn more, then I'll be happy. When I can get this, when I can get this. And we're spiraling in our function. And then a layoff happens and that's gone and we don't know who we are anymore. And then we're looking in the mirror going... Who are you? And let's go back to Jesus, okay? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. The Son of God, Lamb of God, that's foundational identity. That's who Jesus is. Who takes away the sin of the world, that's function. Now picture the scene of his baptism, that Jesus gets baptized, he comes up out of the water, and John sees the Spirit descending as a dove, not a dove, but as a dove, which means it's, come, it's, it's moving. If it's a West Texas dove, it's coming in like 800 miles an hour. Because <laughs> I, I dove hunt, and if it's windy, forget it. I, you have to aim like three miles ahead of them. But he sees the spirit descending on Jesus like a dove and resting on him and remaining there. And then he hears something. The voice of the father speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The timeline of events, that was before Jesus did any miracles. Jesus hadn't healed any person of their sickness. Jesus hasn't raised Lazarus or anybody else from the dead. Jesus hasn't touched people and their blindness is taken away. Jesus hasn't said the word and their ears are open. open. Jesus hasn't spoken to, to, do you have enough faith? Yes, I do. Help me in my belief. Then they're healed. Jesus is before Jesus did any of that. This is before Jesus was betrayed, arrested, falsely accused, and given a mock trial and hung on a cross for our sin. It was before Jesus was laid in a tomb and on the third day he walked victoriously out of that tomb. That's the father speaking his love over his son before he did any of that. Because God is concerned with who we are, not what we do. And can you imagine that? Can you imagine the fulfillment that that had to bring Jesus who had stepped off of his throne in glory, who, who is now in this earth that he created, Colossians 1, all things are created by him and for him. And he's the first boy. So he's seen it all. He's seen the fall. And he's the one who said, I'll take it. I will pay for their sin. And he finds himself wrapped in humanity and humbling himself to walk in this life. And he's thinking, you know, he's got in the humanity, he's got to be thinking like, what am I doing? And then the father speaks over him, said, son, I love you. You're mine, nothing can change that. And I'm, I'm pleased with you, son. Think about what that would do for us. Think about putting ourselves in Christ, right? 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Those who are in Christ, we are declared the righteousness of God. And our Father speaks over us. Matt, you're my son. And my pleasure in you is not derived from anything you do for me. My pleasure in you is because you are mine. Can you think about, can you imagine how transformational that is? Can you imagine that once, see, instead of hearing me talk about it, if you could experience it and experience it what it feels like to have the weight of my sin forgiven because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. And I don't have to go through the hamster wheel of religion going, well, I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this for God to love me. No, he just says, I love you. And out of that love, it charges me up to go do for him. But I don't do it to get his love. I don't do it to get his attention. I don't do it to get his affection. The things I do is because I realize the fullness of his pleasure is already in me and I want you to experience that too. John could look at Jesus. I know who he is. And I know what he's done. And I've witnessed the power and the freedom that comes through that. So when you look at Jesus, who do you see? I try to see myself. Not my brokenness and not the wretched shell you see here but I try to see the righteousness of God. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us and just when we can't even love ourselves. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for not leaving us in a broken identity. And thank you for going to the cross and thank you for your resurrection so that we can have transformation in who we are and whose we are. And Father, I pray right now for transformation through that salvation. That we just simply humble ourselves before you to say, Jesus, I, I confess that I need you. I need you to define to me who I am. I trust in who you are. God, help us when we face those identity crises to know that our identity in you is solid and unchanging and help keep us in the right priority that what we do will come from who we are. Thank you for declaring us children. We love you and pray all of this for your glory. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.